動でお風呂を沸かします。Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter Murray, and James Harkin. Once again, we have gathered round the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is. James. Okay, my fact this week is that in 1910, the World Health Organization tried to ban kissing. Wow. <laughs> I think that'd be a bigger story given such a huge organization, right? Especially as it happened 30 years before they existed. Yes. You would think so, wouldn't <laughs> you? What's going、um, on here? If you listen very carefully, you will have heard me say the World Health Organization <laughs> as opposed to the more commonly known World Health Organization. And this was. An organization, and when I say an organization, I mean really one woman、uh, <laughs> in America、uh, called Imogene Rectin,、uh, and she decided that everyone should stop kissing. And she got in all the newspapers、mm. and, and invented a load of badges and pledges and stuff like that, and really thought that if people stop kissing, then maybe we could stop the spread of disease, things like consumption, typhus, all that、mm. kind of stuff. Yeah. She, she, kind of, she kind of been completely wrong. So、yeah. If everyone stopped kissing everyone else,、hmm. we'd have fewer diseases. Yeah. Well,、um, we did try it for half a year in、yeah. 2020, if you remember. And no one got a cold. So you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just saying maybe the cost is greater than the the benefit. Yeah, well, but the, she yeah. was. I feel like she was almost ahead of her time, understanding then about、mm. exchange of possible germs. I mean, yeah, our mouths are rank. They've got like billions of bacteria in them.、Yep. I know a lot of them are probably good bacteria. Yeah. But I think、um, there was a study done that、um, had people drink a like a yakult or a probiotic drink, and then had them <laughs> snog their partner, and they found that 80 million bacteria transferred from one face to the other. Bacteria is tiny though. Yeah, eighty million. Eighty million. Like we don't know how much that is,、yeah. do we? Is there everything where it's like, oh, three bacteria transfers? <laughs> like it's gonna be big, right? It's such I think a good point. even if three bacteria transferred before long. There's going to be more than there's going to be four, five, there six. There you go. That's true. Yeah, yeah they、breathe. are rampant. She does sound amazing. Yeah, Imogene as well. Imogene. Imogene. Weirdly, some newspapers call her Imogene, but I think they might、oh. be misprints because <laughs> most of them say Imogene. She got a lot of not a lot of support. She got some support. She got a、yeah. thousand acolytes, which I think is a good hit rate for this slightly demented campaign. It's a good number、campaign. of acolytes. Yeah. Well, yeah. including seventy、yeah. brides who declined to be kissed at their own weddings. Really? Which I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you may now kiss a bride. No, you may not. Yeah. <laughs> so in the article that you sent over, James, when、mm. you found this, there was a nice little thing that she. It starts off by saying that she'd convinced her husband of the risks associated with promiscuous kissing, which sounds、okay. like she had a bit of a dog in the race to begin、married? with. Yeah, she she had a husband.、Oh. So he was a big kisser.、Right? I, well, think? I think <laughs> what it sounds like, reading further into the article, is that. Kissing on the lips and kissing generally was much more what you just did. If you had parties at the house, everyone would kiss each other on the lips. Women would kiss each other. Men would kiss men. That's, that's my party. <laughs> that's what her husband was telling her. Anyway, first of all, the keys go in the bowl. Then we start kissing, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't think men were snogging each other that much by 1910. There have been phases when the kiss has been、mm. in, but I think her husband was spinning it. I did just throw that in. I have to admit, it was. It, was, it definitely、guessing. said women were kissing women. I thought, well,、oh, I want men should be kissing I, men. Then. I was in. France recently, I saw. I was in the south of France, and I was in a particularly kissy region. Oh yeah, it varies from region to region.、Mm-hmm. I think、yes. I saw some people kissing four times. 
Oh, yeah, but there's more. Bang, bang, way more. Bang. I think you no, do wh- get. There are fives, definitely. I've, I've had a way good more. five or Tell six. Tell me where there's but, a way more. You've had a six. Yeah, kiss. I, I lived in France for three months with my grandmother in 2003. <laughs> I've had a six. You start counting when it's. Six. When it, six. I've had a six. Maybe she wanted to give me six. I've seen a Your five. Your grandmother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, her oldie mates. All the grandmothers at the retirement. Maybe they forget. Maybe they forgot. <laughs> Halfway through, yeah. they're like, ah, oh, I'm going to start again. <laughs> you can be stuck in the old people's home for hours, yeah. can't you? you just... Think about older people kissing. This was actually one of Imogene's theories. Mm. And she thought that if she could stop older people from kissing each other and actually more like stopping them from kissing children then eventually when the older generation died out so kissing would die out because the children wouldn't have got it into their system that it's a thing that you do that was her plan that's interesting Mm. probably would have worked if she again if 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 she's got more than a thousand acolytes yeah yeah. 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 Because uh, it's a cultural thing, you know, it's a learned thing. We assume it is, yeah. I think there's some debate, isn't there? But I think we assume it's a learned thing largely because about just over half of societies mm. don't do it. Yeah. Um, so the, the number is 46% do do it of mm. cultures that were looked at to see whether lip to lip kissing was a thing. But what's a culture? As in, is Britain, oh, you, is Britain one culture? No, 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 no it's no. not like Britain. It's, so it's obviously tiny minorities of people because the vast mm. majority of people on earth do kiss now because okay, we're yeah. a globalised society. But if you go to an Amazonian tribe or, you know, Papua mm. New Guinea or something. Yeah, right. Um, I think it's particularly uncommon in parts of China and parts of Mongolia. Mm. That area is quite un- uncommon. So it was 168 cultures from around the world. Okay. And this was a professor of anthropology at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Which I assume is a serious university. Yeah, I just associate it. I just associate it with gambling. I don't know why. Poor Las Vegas. It does do on the start. Yeah, that university is a very wealthy one, actually, because one year, a few decades ago, they put everything on red. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Got a huge endowment now. Um, yeah. The first person who kind of observed that a lot of these cultures don't do mouth-to-mouth kissing was a guy called Paul Denjoy. Mm. So it's D apostrophe and then enjoy. Don't enjoy. Don't enjoy. <laughs> Such a good name. Don't he said that some people considered it an abomination and a form of cannibalism. Oh, right. Come on, that's that's someone kissing too hard. It's, a, that's it's, the it's a step on the road. It's a step on the road of cannibalism. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. So just back to Imogene uh, mm. very quickly. I read a lot of newspaper articles about her because in 1910 and 1911 she was everywhere. Obviously, mm. the newspapers saw this story that trying to ban kissing <laughs> and they loved it. Um, she was known as the foe of oculation in the press Uh, oculation being another word for kissing Uh, and in august of 1910 she tried to organize a no kiss august which you know it's like you know no drink january or whatever they call november November. i reckon this might be the first of those yeah you know 1910 it must be yeah Yeah. um but then by 1912 there were no more mentions of her on newspapers.com so after two years, the How press sad. weren't interested anymore. And do we know any more about her story at all? Like, do we know when she died? Or I know when someone with her name died, oh, okay. <laughs> but I couldn't tell if it was definitely her. So yeah. I'm not really yeah. sure. She she kind of went away Can't after. Too many Im- Im- jeans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirteen um, percent of people say they've been uh, accidentally kissed on the mouth at work. Oh, yeah. How yeah, does yeah. that? Is that? <laughs> Dad says, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> Dad goes around kissing people on the mouth all the time. <laughs> no, no, but the, sometimes the turn from comes air, too from sharply. An air kiss, yeah. to another air kiss, especially when you're doing seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I found someone else who has an anti-kissing rule. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah, um, and it's uh, champion whistlers. <laughs> Specifically, one champion whistler who's a guy okay. called Christopher Ullman, who uh, I think has won at the International Whistlers Convention. 
And there are, you know, lots of different kinds of Westlake. And he says he has a no kissing rule for 24 hours before a performance. Interesting. Yeah. Well, he must have a lot of groupies, you know, <laughs> whistling groupies. <laughs> yeah. He sounds great. He says it makes your lips mushy kissing before a performance. Oh, so he doesn't, he doesn't lick his lips, which I'm very impressed by. God, yeah. that's amazing. How They must be dry, parched and dry by the time mm. he's whistling. But yeah. then they must be like a solid whistle, right? Oh, if you've got dry lips, I think it's very hard to whistle, isn't it? Is it? Um, what does he say, Andy? Uh, I don't actually know how he how he moistens them. I've I've only got other details like he can do Mozart's oboe concerto, the oboe part, but whistling. Okay, which is hard. I think most people can do any part, right? Yeah, most people yeah. can whistle any tune. If it's a tune, it's whistleable. The problem is none of us knows Mozart's <laughs> that oboe piece. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a very so good point. So when his stooge in the crowd goes, I bet no one here can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does it and everyone's like, is that that? Better to do a plane engine though, or a drill, or, um, you know. That doesn't sound like a whistle. Something that doesn't sound like a whistle. Yeah. Exactly. What would the point, Sad. what was that? It was a drill. That was uh, Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've just casually driven by this guy's whole career. No, but it's interesting know? because I, you know, it how would sorry, you? It can't be his career. <laughs> <laughs> it's unclear. It's unclear. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's got all these groupies, but really, you make a living out of they that. Are, they asked him in this interview if his family gets sick of the whistling. And he said, I actually don't whistle around the house very much. Random idle whistling is very annoying. Yeah. Well, okay. that's, someone's told him that a lot of times. <laughs> um, in 1921, in the newspapers, there was a worry about people kissing freckled girls on the cheeks. Mm. Uh, can you guess why uh, that might be dangerous? Uh, this was in the newspapers. Freckles come off. Uh, they go on your lips. You <laughs> yeah. get lip covered in freckles. Can't eat you stuff. Or can, yeah, would they thought to be contagious, I guess, is the... Freckles. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> in yeah. the 1920s. Was, it, <laughs> <laughs> was this a justified thing or was yeah. it a crazy... Okay, so it's justified. Um, oh, freckled girls. girls. Because, because, because they are out in the sun. So they are wearing what back in the 1920s was radioactive sunscreen. Yeah. You're so close. Yeah, so the sunscreen had chemicals oh. in No, it. no, don't carry on with the oh, wrong okay. answer. Okay, <laughs> just try Radioactive sunscreen, which meant that to kiss them would give radiation and you'd become... Forget is, about is the it, radioactive part. Oh, okay. It's the being outside part. No. Poisonous makeup. Almost. Basically, there was Ooh. a um, anti-freckle medication that people were using oh. to try and get rid of their freckles mm. and it was toxic if ingested. Amazing. And so there was a danger, according to the newspapers, if you kissed a freckled girl on the cheek, you might get sick. Oh wow. God. God. Mm. That's awful because the girls are going to think that their medication isn't working at all because still <laughs> yes. no one's kissing them. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. On alternatives to kissing, which people mm. have had to come up with, these yeah. poor societies mm. that don't have kissing, um, Darwin, who met a lot of people in his life, different peoples, yeah. listed a bunch of alternatives to kissing in cultures. And he listed uh, rubbing of noses, with, like, which Laplanders mm. and Easterners yep. do, um, rubbing or patting of the arms, breasts, or stomachs, or one man <laughs> striking his own face with the hands or feet of another like a like a slap proper slap it's like why are you hitting yourself yeah. why are you hitting yourself <laughs> oh right oh actually it's not you hitting yourself it's me grabbing your hand and then hitting me in the face with your hand right? you are actually oh. hitting yourself yeah why are you yeah. hitting me why are you hitting me yeah why are you yeah. hitting yeah. me was that a game why are you hitting me no. <laughs> it was a catchphrase you yeah. could say yeah yeah <laughs> Can I um, talk about very quickly some of the public health stuff, yeah. mm -hmm. um, especially done by American women? So this is a group of middle class women from Manhattan called the Ladies Health Protective Association. Uh, and they basically there was a huge pile of manure in the middle of <laughs> New York. OK, okay. It, 
covered two blocks and stood 30 feet tall. Oh, I was picturing much smaller when you said there was a pile. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Like the Godzilla. Of- so what they would do is obviously a lot of horses in those days, right? Yeah. They would collect the manure from stables and they would sell it as fertilizer to farmers who were just outside the city, but they needed somewhere to keep it. And so they just kept it in the middle of the street. Uh, it was this guy called, weirdly enough, he was called Michael Kane. <laughs> but Kane as in Harry Kane with a K Um, but anyway Michael Kane had this huge manure pile uh, and he was making loads of money he was making $300,000 a year which today is about $8 million from this manure pile and his brother-in-law was a New York State Senator so everyone thought there was nothing they could do about it anyway this Ladies Health Protective Association came along and did a court case and amazingly they won it uh, they basically called it a nuisance and by the law that there was no way that he could get around it because of this technical thing they called it. Uh, and not only that, the Board of Health denied any permits for any manure dumps in the whole city. So that's why if you go to New York now, there's not a 30-foot pile. Yeah. <laughs> I've manure. always wondered why oh, there's not a 30-foot pile. And this group so then turned to spitting. Uh, sorry, they turned to stop spitting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was when um, New York became the first city in the world that banned spitting. Mm. Uh, well, isn't, it, isn't it true that in the middle of Central Park there was a massive reservoir <laughs> of <laughs> spit? That was disgusting. <laughs> okay, on with the podcast. Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that after King Charles I was decapitated, he was recapitated. Oh, <laughs> you just made that word up. Yeah. yeah. So, um, King Charles I, only king who's ever been um, executed. I guess loads of them have been killed in battles mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it was in 1649, and it was just after the English Civil War. And obviously, huge move, you know. Big old move. Big deal. Political Big deal. chaos, yeah. yeah. But the king's body basically had to be seen. And the, you know, the, um, mm. the authorities, the sort of Republican authorities wanted to uh, say, look, He's definitely dead, and um, he's not coming back. So they employed a surgeon after the execution uh, to stitch the head back on. And um, I would have thought that if I'd have seen his body without the head, that would be even more proof that he wasn't alive. Definitely. What a good point. It what sort of point. looks like he was kind of coming back if, <laughs> if the head that's meant to be off was suddenly back on. Anyway, I should say quickly where I got this from. I've been uh, reading a book. It's actually from a novel. It's called Act of Oblivion. Ah. And it's all about the hunt for the regicides. Is it by, by Thomas Harris? No, it's by Hugh- Robert Harris. Robert Harris. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so... Basically, and it describes in incredibly gory detail the death of the king and also the death of the regicides, who the people who signed the death warrant mm. and all this, and who really, they really put through the ringer. Yeah, um, this is, we should say for international listeners, they didn't put them through the ringer as soon as they'd killed the king. It wasn't like you've executed the king and now we're going to execute you. It was when the restoration happened. Mm. So there was a brief period mm. where everyone was pro-killing the monarchy. Like and then years. sadly, yeah. Uh, yeah, after a decade, monarchy came back and then all the regicides got mm. hunted down. Sadly, sadly, Anna says, sadly, from, monarchy from, came back. <laughs> Perspective of a roundhead. I was adopting the character of Oliver Cromwell. So I don't know anything about Charles the First, having not grown up in this country. So I am one of these these mm-hmm. foreign listeners, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, that you mentioned, Anna. And uh, it struck me that what a big deal it was to kill the king off the back of a trial because there's all this stuff and Oliver Cromwell is a name that is very much part of the, the decision to bring him to trial and have him executed <laughs> uh, yeah. for, again, for a, key, a key player yeah, yeah. And, and the story gets quite gruesome uh, when we talk about what happened to him and the others some 30 years later after the mm. death only um, 10 years later oh, sorry 10 so, years later okay so 1649 Charles was killed yeah so, and then recapitated right 1650 I think it's 8 Oliver Cromwell died after less than 10 years in office 
and then two years later the monarchy is restored, 1660. Then, at that point, Oliver Cromwell is dug up yeah. and decapitated. Yeah. So yeah. both mm-hmm. Charles and Cromwell had a, 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 a head-altering situation. They should have switched them around. It's yeah. Freaky oh, Friday. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of. Freaky Friday. Friday. <laughs> it was his son, was it? King Charles II, who was a direct son of so Charles, Charles I, yeah, yeah. who yeah. then was the person in charge of the, the monarchy once yeah <laughs> the once... person in charge of the monarchy or the king, the king. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it's surprising that it disappeared for 11 years I mean that is a pretty big yeah, deal yeah, it wasn't yeah, just yeah. overthrowing the monarchy it was overthrowing all of the monarchy it was one of the biggest things that's ever happened as in a, England's I'm history just saying, as a foreigner you don't follow sorry we're up to date on Charles the first you have lived here for about 20 years now I feel like you should have some yeah it should have been as I was coming to immigrate <laughs> you don't have to do an exam to get into the UK. No, I'm British. Well, no. do you want to know something really interesting? Um, it's not in a lot of the citizenship tests, Is or at least a couple of really? years ago, there was a really good article well, on. Should it be question number one? <laughs> <laughs> there was a really good article on History Today about how um, the. Uh, it wasn't in the test for new immigrants. There was nothing about the Civil War, anything like that. and missed oh. that whole period. And someone asked um, immigration, why isn't this included? And they said the wounds are still too fresh. Um, so I spoke, said, the assumption is that we are all anti-Cromwell obviously parliamentarian didn't believe in the divine right of kings the reason yeah. that Charles I was overthrown was because he really went hard on the divine right of kings as well he loved it didn't he like mm, he yeah. prorogued parliament for 11 years didn't want to yeah. ask them anything and then told them to give him loads of money he was into absolutist yeah. monarchy and when they put him on trial he was like well you can't put me on trial because God put me here so yeah, yeah. And now I think Cromwell is a bit of a villain to almost everyone. But in another country, he would be a hero. And in fact, in yeah. America, he's remembered quite well, he's heroically. He's still got a statue a outside of Parliament. Outside Parliament. Yeah, 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 yeah Which that's is true. surprising. They're... So he's not... Yeah, and that wasn't toppled in the old topples of statues period that we went through quite recently. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be. After he died, his... Uh, or rather, after he died, was dug up and then posthumously re-executed. Mm. Uh, his body and a couple of comrades, they were hanged, beheaded, and then their heads were placed on spikes... His head stayed on a spike for 25 years. I, yeah. That is the most amazing, for me, the most amazing yeah. thing about this whole thing. That for 25 years, whenever you came to London, you could go and look at a head on the spike. And if you came back 25 years later, it would still be there. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, I think about all the shops near my house. Most of them, <laughs> most of them are less than five years old because they just all got the turnover. You know, yeah, it was much yeah. less in those days. You yeah. got a lot of custom in the same place yeah. for a head. Amazing. But one person who lived through all, the whole thing was. Oliver Cromwell's son Richard mm. so when Cromwell died he it happens so often with uh, rulers tyrants newly established r- reigns anyway yeah. they try and hand over to their kids so let's like, get Napoleon... rid of the monarchy it's ridiculous exactly. that a, yeah. someone could have the divine right to rule but when I die I want my kids to have it I actually do think Napoleon too is a good name <laughs> for a, uh, an emperor so and anyway so Richard Cromwell resigned he he was uh, he was not up to the job I mean he was he was not you know, as no. zealous as his father, and he didn't have the authority, so he he was kicked out in 1659. Mm. One year later, and he just lived out his life. Right. He died in 1712. I think he moved overseas. And... I think if your dad's head was on a spike in London, <laughs> you probably would move <laughs> out of town. You wouldn't yeah. say in London, would you? But get this: he he died in 1712. He yeah. lived an incredibly long time, so yeah. he saw the whole thing, and he was the longest-lived British head of state until 
the year 2012 when he was overtaken by Queen Elizabeth no II. No way. Right. Oh, really? When she was 85. So that's the age he lived to. Oh, okay. Wow. So for a long time, the longest they've had a state was Richard yeah. Cromwell. <laughs> that's wow. really funny. Do you, do you know where Oliver Cromwell's head is now? Oh, was uh, it reburied with the rest well, of him? No, this no, is interesting. It was buried in Cambridge University now. Okay, so I read this in a in a Charles Brandreth book and I tweeted him to ask him if this was true okay. and he tweeted me back. So I said, my memory of it goes like this. There is a relative of Oliver Cromwell kept by the chief whip or prime minister have I made that up I probably have he wrote back it's in the drawers at Chequers. So Sorry. my memory is, is that the skull of... The skull of Oliver Cromwell is in Chequers. Is in, in a drawer. In a drawer. And it's and I think Brand, I think I read it in Brandreth's um, Brandreth's uh, autobiography his diaries of his time as a politician and in it he says okay. he goes to checkers and the drawers open and they let you see and stroke no. the skull you know stroke so- the skull <laughs> <laughs> so what i have in my notes is that um it, one day there was a storm and the head blew off the spike yeah and they thought you know what? it's been here for 25 years we probably don't need to put it back up again everyone's seen it now they get the idea yeah they do go- it again <laughs> exactly uh, and then the skull was sort of taken away and it was just kind of sold in auction after auction and went through a load of families uh, but then it was buried at sydney sussex college cambridge in 1960 wow. interesting that's okay. what i've got but yeah. i mean probably like with these things there's probably 20 of those exactly. skulls around that yeah. yeah and yeah. i don't specify what relic i mean he could have thought it might have been a uh, finger yeah, or something yeah, yeah. in my head it's his head oh right well maybe it's not the head that's, that's more normal if it's a finger because I can't think of a drawer that could even fit a skull. Oh, I think you can't, can't think of a drawer that could. <laughs> Imagine. Are you going to pull out of that? <laughs> I should pull out of that. I suppose I'm imagining a desk drawer and it, oh, those old desks, those tiny the, drawers. The bottom drawer, even of a standard wooden desk, will be a bit bigger. But even if that didn't exist, it doesn't take much imagination to take a drawer and make it slightly deeper. My head, ironically, my head is not big enough to get around Anna, this concept. Have you ever seen a filing cabinet? Because oh no, don't, it's you're too, flip much, your lid. too much. Yeah. I can't. Um, I can't take it. So, Anna's amazing Freaky Friday idea, (laughs) which I actually think is a brilliant idea. Thank you. um, Maybe could have been true-ish because... When Cromwell's head got put on the spike, there was a big rumour around that actually it wasn't his head mm. and that they'd mistakenly Ooh. got on the wrong one and it was probably some old king of England. Uh, they didn't specify what? which one it was because it was he was originally buried. Uh, was it in Westminster Abbey, I think? I think you're right, Westminster yeah, yeah. Holt. So there was loads of other kings there and mm. they thought that they dug up the wrong thing and just put an old king's head there. Surely you just sorry. pick the roundest head. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Roundhead joke. It's a roundhead joke. I love it. Oh, very um, nice. They did used to toss them in um, all together a bit. Yeah. Like, actually, there was obviously a conundrum after Charles was decapitated because they don't want to create a martyr of him by having it either yeah. be a big thing burying him or not burying him at all. So I think they took him away to Windsor and they interred him in Henry VIII's tomb, weirdly. Wow. Yeah. And um, then in 1813, they decided to dig him up again. I think this was to check again, again. he was there again. Right. Okay. Um, just the first time again. Oh, this okay. is Charles Sorry. first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the, it was George III's physician, Henry Halford, who was kind of leading the exhumation. And he ended up with Charles's vertebra and some beard and some of his teeth. Mm. Which beard. is, oh. yeah, some beard. Bro. I'm surprised a beard 
is Last. still extant after all that time. Yeah. Yeah, that seems weird, doesn't it? How many years are we saying? Yeah, well, this was 1813, so it's 160 years. What? So he says that they went, oh, it's not worth opening the coffin again. Do you mind just keeping these? <laughs> and he kept them. Wow. Other people who were there say that he went in right. and nicked all the stuff right. and hung on to it. But then um, his grandson returned it. It was the 1890s. And he went to the uh, Prince of Wales yeah. and said, well, look, we've got these bits of Charles I. Do you want them? Um, the story, the QI facts that we always say about this is that they used the vertebrae as a salt holder. Mm. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. So if you ever went for dinner at Sir Henry Holford's house and you wanted some salt, it would be a little dish. But when you looked at it closely, it would be part of his backbone. Wow. That's, and that's you, no, you can fit that in a cupboard. You can. <laughs> <laughs> The eventual outcomes for the regicides, who were the people who'd signed the death, death warrant, basically, were bad. So I think a lot of them were disemboweled. <laughs> They're bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were yeah. not hanged, good. Hanged, drawn and quartered. They were, yeah, hanged until not quite dead, and then had their genitals removed, um, and then were disemboweled. What, still alive. Still While still alive. Yeah. Um, got I to think. lie. But if you got away, then it could be okay. And interestingly, if you live in Connecticut, um, near, I think in New Haven, then there are three streets called Dixwell Avenue, a Wally Avenue, and Goff Street. Dixwell. Dixwell and Wally. Wally. And what was the other one? Dixwell, Wally, and Goff. (laughs) They were the worst surveyors that I ever had for my house. (laughs) But Wally and Goff are the two that are in this book, Act of Oblivion. They're the two protagonists. Dixwell was left out, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they all ended up in this place, and they they liked them so much in America, obviously, because America aren't that pro-monarchy, that they named these streets after them. Yeah, they were in very, very religious, puritanical communities, which were already very uncertain about monarchy Mm -hmm. and wanted to find It was kind of a place where they could go, wasn't it, when they were saying... There's another place in North America named after someone connected to this story. So the wife of Charles I was Henrietta Marie. She was a French Catholic princess. Um, She got married by proxy, um, which is quite cool. So Charles I wasn't there when she got married. Um, So he had a proxy who was George Villiers, the first Duke of Buckingham. Um, But George Villiers wasn't available either. So they got another proxy in. He was (laughs) Charles de Lorraine, who was the Duke of Chavreuse. And basically, they got married with this guy pretending to be the king. And in those days, you could do that. I think we've said before, haven't we? There were various rituals if you're Mm. married by by proxy, like you, as the proxy, would maybe have to touch the person's thigh. I think that You have to, like, lie in bed and touch the thigh. Lie in bed and be witness with them. Yeah. 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 So the king only met his um, wife three months later at Dover. Three months later? They'd been married for three months when he met her. That's so funny. Uh, And one of these areas in North America where Catholics felt safe where they could go was named after Henrietta Marie and it was Maryland or Maryland or Maryland (laughs) and we always say this name and we always pronounce it wrong on this podcast and the people of Maryland always write to us but now I actually think that because it's named after Henrietta Marie it should be called Maryland. Yeah. Oh, nice. So that's what I will be calling it from Excellent. now on. Very nice. Especially that's because so she good. didn't like Mary, actually. No. She was because she was French and she was very French. Um and she didn't was being like English. Mary. She didn't like being called Mary. So the English used to call her Mary as like a oh. nickname. And she said, No, I'm French. Mary's not my name. Don't even like the name Mary. Fair enough. Wow. Marie is a better name than Mary. I M O. Can we talk a bit about the execution itself? Mm. Why? Yeah. It was not. such an interesting I mean, what an extraordinary I mean the one of the weirdest days ever to happen in it, English history, you know. It was on Whitehall it was not far from here uh-huh. um, so when it happened the the executioner had to wear um, a disguise yeah because the executioner has never been identified do you not for just sure. mean like a hut 
No, I don't. I mean, a wig, a fake beard, a sailor's costume. <laughs> yeah, confusing what? details. Unclear as to why, really? and fishnets over the face. Okay. So afterwards, after the restoration, there was a big manhunt for who was the exact executioner because we're going to kill him. Yeah. And it, 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 there was... must have been a lot of sailors getting rid of their fishnets <laughs> just in case they can't. Well, he was ne- they, the executioner was never properly identified. No. One this... guy was sentenced to death for it, but then the sentence was overturned. Did one guy claimed to be and then wrote that they. Oh, I can't remember I about I that. There's, a, there's a museum in London that has a few of these relics from the execution, uh, including a shirt that belonged to Charles the First that they believe, you know, they can't they can't yeah. actually work out properly, but all his all his bits of clothing were sort of torn off him and handed yeah. round. That's auctioned. the Museum of London, isn't it? The Museum of that. London, yeah. yeah. And among those items, they have a patched leather shoe of a man called John Big, and they believe that Big was the executioner. At least that's... Okay. One of the theories, Mr. Big. Mm. Mr. Big. Mr. Big. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that whole thing. It was an analogy. <laughs> the Sex and the City. Sex and the Mr. City Big. was an analogy was about... for the English Civil War. That's yeah, right. that's very interesting. Can't believe you didn't see that. So I guess, I guess, um, what's her name? Is it Carrie? Guess well, so. yeah. Carrie Fisher, sort of... Carrie Fishnet, but they thought that would be too obvious. <laughs> oh my God. And so she, she I don't called... think it's Carrie Fisher. Is she called Carrie oh, Bradshaw. Carrie Fisher's a different person, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Carrie Fisher. She Carrie called Bradshaw. Carrie Bradshaw. Bradshaw. Yeah. Well, interestingly, um, John Bradshaw was the parliamentary commissioner who tried Charles I in Westminster. You Hall. are joking. No. I can't believe we're actually blowing this shit wild up. <laughs> <laughs> this is huge. Bradshaw and Bill. If only any of us had ever properly watched Sex and City, <laughs> we'd be all over it right now. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that in World War II, a Finnish soldier got tired in the Arctic, so took the entire platoon's rations of methamphetamine and subsequently skied 400 kilometers to safety. <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> it's the power of uppers. <laughs> it's insane, the story. It's a really insane story. So this is a chap called Aimo Koivunen, and it was at a time when um, Finland was at war with the Soviet Union. It was mid-Second World War. Uh, Finland was sort of on Germany's side, war with the Soviet Union, and he's fighting uh, in um, this very cold area with his mm. platoon and he had been tasked with keeping his entire group supply of pervitin which is meth and mm. it, was, it was so crucial in the second world war everyone was bloody taking it and um, he was really really tired and I think the Soviets were coming and chasing them and he was told to like lead them to make tracks and lead them away so they could escape and he was at the front and he said in his memory of it that so implausible (laughs) he said especially because first of all he said I didn't want to take them because I was kind of against that I disapproved of drugs so I tried not to but then I got so knackered that look I just tipped a pill into my hand what I hope was a pill but I was wearing mittens and so quite a few came out turns out all 30 of the pills came out and then because he wanted to hide what he was doing from his comrades he just ate them all <laughs> well, you're being shot at it's stressful it's I'm stressful. just I'm, I'm yeah, just eat them all eat, have all the tic tacs basically you know? yes. Yes. Yeah. if you pour a lot of tic tacs in your hand let's say you only want two but accidentally five right. come out you're not going to put them back in the tic tac no <laughs> if, especially if you're being shot at that's how you Usually am when exactly. I need some Tic Tacs. <laughs> Just drop them in the snow. Anything. And then it goes Sonic the Hedgehog because suddenly <laughs> I don't, I was he thinking, just eats this. I was thinking of Popeye woo, when Popeye yeah. has the spinach. <laughs> da, 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 bang, bang. <laughs> suddenly he turns into a mutant, absolute like yeah. Um, he basically, as it goes, <laughs> he received the hit in one <laughs> swoop. 
And the hit, by the way, lasts for a very long time. That when you take a normal amount of meth, it can last a few right. days. But you figure so I think... he took an OD level of it, is what yeah, they say, yeah. right? Definitely. And I figure that the OD level would come to you in one hit. This kind of just plays out over a number of days, and he goes <laughs> speeding away, and they're trying to they're trying to chase him, and they eventually He's just... collected all these rings, yeah. <laughs> and they can't keep up, and the music goes really fast, and and they're chasing him still, and he's just going off, and then. This is the craziest bit, which presumably you've got more on, Anna, because I, I just couldn't believe it, so I stopped reading. He blacks out. <laughs> <laughs> he blacks out and keeps going. Basically, a few days later, he kind of was like, oh, where am I? Yeah. And it turned out they'd been doing that. And he's yeah. still... <laughs> I think he, he may have collapsed multiple times on the way. Yeah. Oh, Basically, yeah. one of the things I found surprising in his um, account is that he said he felt amazing for a bit, quite a short time, I think, where he skied <laughs> like Sonic the Hedgehog. And then he said, something very unexpected happened. I completely lost the plot and started hallucinating and collapsing. Mm. I would say that's not unexpected if you have taken no. 30 mm. pills of meth. But then... Um, um, the mystery is what happened to the people with him and I think because what preceded this was actually an argument between him and his men mm -hmm. and he blacks oh. out and the next thing he remembers he wakes up and he's completely on his own <laughs> so one sort of suspects they had a chat and said this guy's being so annoying right now he's a massive liability well, post, post meth post him taking post all the pills meth. Off, right? yeah. yeah well they Should took we all just... his ammunition off him didn't they yeah yeah and his food supplies yeah. so he woke up and had nothing well then he started skiing towards some he saw some allies in the distance and started skiing towards them much too late realises they're Russians yeah. <laughs> but he's still got the drugs on him so he, skis, he skis through them and past them <laughs> keeps going he, he said they were so confused they just moved their they should have shot him and they yeah. just moved their legs out the way to let him get past <laughs> excuse me yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. he spent all night trying to get to a distant farm window which turned out to be the North Star <laughs> it's, I mean, and it's then didn't he he survived didn't he by like chewing on some some tree like a cactus style he boiled pine needles at mm. one point um so he it's still had pine tea. delicious mm. pine tea had some pine tea but he was really starving it was only at the God. very end where he somehow had found a hut finally this cabin in the woods and oh, first of all it's so funny he says i lit a fire in the middle of the cabin it's still clearly high so <laughs> didn't know what he was doing lit a fire in the middle of a wooden cabin and it just set fire to the cabin and he said i just sat next to the fire and followed it around as it burned the cabin down oh gradually and the whole cabin collapsed around him how how many days into that the, was the trip and i mean the trip well he just doesn't know okay. i think about five days but he has no idea he only realized when he came out of it it had been two weeks and yeah, on his like last day, he was about to starve to death and a jay flew past and he whacked it with his ski pole and ate a raw jay. Mm. Again, not the actions of someone who's completely with it. I mean, the ability no. to beat a bird out of the sky is unusual. With a stick, that's hard. With a stick. Really. It's Those really hard. ski poles are quite thin. Was People this... don't go on pheasant shoots with just a ski pole, <laughs> no, do they? And there no, is no. a reason. Well, they're pros, yeah, yeah. Was this before <laughs> or after he got blown up? Sorry. That was after. Because <laughs> he, 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 right. he, so he was yeah. set on fire, and then he was blown up, and then he had the J, right? Yeah, uh, I yes. think so. Yeah, because yes. he he found a another little building. I said it was a German post, uh, but the Germans had retreated from it, uh, and they had attached mines to it. Yeah, yeah. So he blew basically shredded his entire foot in the first explosion, and then he sort of hopped around and he opened a door, <laughs> and then that said that that was also mined, mm -hmm. and supposedly he came to about. You know, many meters away, he'd been blasted across, but he was still holding the doorknob like in a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's the most extraordinary story. Do we think true? 
I can't imagine any of it's true. I think he was <laughs> sitting at so? home. Because we knew he was anti-drugs, right? Maybe he's come up with all this as a don't do drugs. Oh, yeah, this is big a whole, propaganda. This is like a Finnish 40s talk to Frank thing. Yes. Yeah. I think we know, because we know from his associates yeah. that the first bit happened and the last bit happened. But I suppose the only account we have of the in-between bit is his. Yeah. Of, with a guy with a lot of drugs in his body. Yeah. That's all we've yeah. got. But, yeah, but he yeah. must have had a shredded foot, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he must have been holding foot. a doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> must have had a bloody ski pole with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dead Jane. He just kind of looked at all these things and like, right, I'm going to have to make a story up about yeah. these. <laughs> but anyway, somehow he made it. I mean, eventually he was found by his, his allies who were the Germans or the Finnish um, and taken to hospital and... Um, Apparently his heart rate was still 200 beats per minute gosh, at that stage. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's incredible he lived. It's unbelievable. For a sort of ripe old age, you know, he just sort yeah. of war ended. In his 70s, right? Yeah. Anyway, it was mad. But the use of meth was, it was big, wasn't it? Was the it Germans was. were particularly into it. Yeah. But everyone did it. Well, I was reading you could get these pills called Forced March. Yeah. Which were quite mm. common, even like at the start of the 20th century. So they um, were a blend of cocaine and caffeine. I mean, yeah. I don't know why you need a caffeine at the point where you've had all the cocaine, but <laughs> it was basically, um, it was sold uh, publicly. It was sold by The Welcome, actually, or by Burroughs Welcome, who was one of The Welcome family. Oh, really? It was a pharmaceutical uh, family there, yeah. Um, um, yeah, they took them to the on the um, Antarctic expeditions, the Forced March, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott cocaine, and Shackleton. Oh, really? But they took specifically Forced March, which yeah. I think they've got to market it in a gentler way, or maybe that's what you want. Is I think that's march. what you need, motivation, right? Yeah, yeah. it's like, I can't march anymore. Well, yeah, you're right. That's some Forced yeah. March. Yeah. Um, and did they use that, because they use that, the Germans use that in the war, did the Brits use that as well, and the Allies generally? <sighs> Uh, I, don't, I don't. I think, think. the allies. I think yes. there was meth use oh, all they? around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. The Definitely. meth pills that were synthesised in the in the thirties. But maybe not for everybody. For mm. people who, I mean, obviously not for everybody. But you know, as in maybe it would be for pilots rather than for yeah. um, standard. Infantry. I think it was pilots know. to yeah. stay awake. I think yeah. that's why the allies use it for but, sure. That's so interesting. So off the back of this, I was just looking into s- supplies that you take in the Arctic, as oh, in yeah. what, what you know, what you have to keep you going, um, and. I mean, it was. E- it seems like it was either cocaine or uh, biscuits. As in, they were like. <laughs> it sounds like a student's fantasy, doesn't it? What's, yeah, you're right. What's on offer today? Same. Okay, so like, get this, Captain Scott, right? Scott of the Antarctic. Yeah. yeah. Did loads of expeditions there. Um, he took some special, specially made biscuits, which were glucose enriched, and they're made by a firm called Huntley and Palmer. <laughs> but he set off with digestive, rich tea, petit beurre. Fancy lunch, ginger nuts, as well as emergency Antarctic and small captain biscuits. And later in his trip, he got resupplied with more biscuits. Cool. I just... actually think that they're some of the worst biscuits you've just named, like digestives <laughs> and rich tea. Rich Where's tea, the ginger nuts, hobnobs and the jammy dodger? Jammy dodger. Come Did on. We have that well, tragically, then. this was a pre-jammy dodger world. I mean, maybe he would have made it back if he had some <laughs> jammy dodgers. On the first all-female expedition to the North Pole, uh, every woman involved ate four penguins per day. Wow. <laughs> they don't have penguins so in they, the Arctic. Or, or they brought penguins, penguins from the Antarctic <laughs> to the Arctic solely to mince them up and eat them. Yeah, they're cruel and that's why they haven't sent women back to the North Pole. Um, no, this is, of course, biscuit penguins. They were sponsored by McVitie's and ah. so McVitie's provided them with the hard to nail down number, maybe but thousands of penguins, I believe, and one of the women said they were told to eat four penguins a Interesting. day. Interesting. According oh, to the biography, Frigid Women by Sue Rich 
riches and Victoria riches. <laughs> so this was two of the women who went on it. They were given six biscuits per person per day for the expedition. Oh, really? Uh, Maybe the person who I read, they got their biscuits nicked before they gave them to her. Yeah, that could be it. Bought. It's interesting because that many, it must have been loads of days they were traveling. It was. It was a relay. So it meant that four women at a time were going and then they would be airlifted out and the next lot would be airlifted oh. into wherever they were. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking you could wear the biscuits as a kind of extra layer of warmth. But maybe, Where maybe the not. biscuits? Well, like, a, like a, you can make it because they're quite flat, aren't they? They're, you can kind of make it. Kind of, yeah. You can have a waistcoat that was lined with penguins. And, and actually, there are two biscuits, and in between, there's like a little bit yeah. of chocolate or something, mm-hmm. right? What so insulation? That, you're insulate, thinking? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Where the it just sounds like you're one of the members on the trip who misheard where are the biscuits <laughs> and you've emerged covered in penguins. What, what year was this, by the way? It was 1997. Ah. And so I've got a question for you. Yeah. Remembering that it's 1997 yeah. and they're British, and yeah. thinking what was happening in 1997 at the time. Yeah. What do you think the newspapers nicknamed them? Um, uh, something the to do with Tony Blair. Bla- Blair's frozen women. <laughs> <laughs> Go away from politics. Oh, uh, the, culture. The Spice Girls were big. Oh. And they were in the Arctic. Yeah, so. Um, frozen uh, spices? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> the, wait, the, wait say, say it again. Say the ingredients. The Spice Girls were big. Yep. They're going, power, to the North, they're going to the North Pole. What nickname? Go, the girl Polar. Oh, oh, girl Polar. Zig, zig, zig Arctic. Oh, Jesus Christ. Girl Polar. Wanna, wanna be the North Poles. No. Two become, uh, five, 16 become, uh, no. no, no two. Uh, Literally uh, everyone baby. listening has got this. Okay, okay. All right. uh, wh- well, well done, everyone. Um, what do you get in the Arctic? Snow. Uh, as well as snow. Ice. Ice. Icy spice. Uh, ice ice the, girls. The, 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 the ice the girls. Ice girls. <laughs> Pew, pew, pew. Nice one, Dad. Wow, Thank straight you. away. Straight, straight in there. <laughs> Sonic. Sonic Shriver. incredible. Um, and one of the patrons of the Ice Girls yeah. was Don French, the oh, comedian. Yeah. Uh, and she told the press that she'd actually made the cut to be on the expedition, <laughs> uh, but she decided to stay at home and comfort all the husbands. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> Very nice. One of the uh, husbands uh, dumped his wife while she was out there. Oh, no, yeah. while she was out there? Yeah. She's married to Don French now. Uh, <laughs> what was it lenny henry it was yeah um no what? this is Anne who had triplets and she'd never had any experience before she's this amazing explorer oh, now daniels she's yeah never, Anne daniels never done anything before but she when they finished the expedition all the other women had letters from home and she didn't have one and it was oh, a sign no. that her husband had decided oh my god oh, sure. let's hear about rosie stancer is she one of the she's one of the arctic uh one of the frigid women as uh-huh. the book has it so she was on it so get this she's um i think she's quite um uh, quite posh like her grand posh ice posh ice <laughs> brilliant brilliant so and she like like Anne daniels she went on to do a load of other expeditions she did one the snickers south pole solo and the mars north pole solo so these are all chocolate and biscuit mm-hmm. sponsored brilliant. but her grandfather was also a wannabe thank you explorer <laughs> He was the fourth <laughs> Earl of Granville, right? Yeah. And he wanted to be a polar explorer, but he was thwarted. Can you guess why? It was something about his body. He it, had like, a weird sort of inner ear thing that whenever he wanted to go north, he always went south. That's a very oh. creative one. Better than what I've got. Shall I tell you? Yeah. yeah. He was too tall really? to go to what? on an Because you hit your head on the top of the earth. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he wouldn't fit in the tent. He was too tall for the tent, so his feet would be sticking out. Yeah, yeah, and that would obviously kill all the men in the tent (laughs) with cold. Could he not? Could he not do like the kind of the embryo position? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was. He was. I mean, maybe this was an excuse, and it was his personality. But he was thought he was too tall to fit (laughs) in the expedition tent. Five foot eight. (laughs) No, no, too tall. 
<laughs> Can you get a bigger tank? Yeah. No. No, they don't exist. <laughs> My cob knobs. Can't bring something that doesn't exist, mate. I can't believe you just called the fetal position the embryo position. I know, I couldn't the remember. Embryo yeah. <laughs> We've got a phrase for that, <laughs> So I read a story which is that Anne Daniels, mother of triplets, um, one of her things to keep her going was... Um, to just say her kids' names over and over again wow. out loud. The triplets just repeat their names. Baby ice. <laughs> <laughs> but they had very near-death experiences. It was so hairy. Scary ice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, okay, let me just... I've crossed off three. We've got two more to get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. done posh, we've done baby. scary, and we've baby. done baby. So yeah, that leaves sporty, sporty and ginger. ginger. <laughs> Wait, uh, oh, they didn't take ginger nuts. They took the penguins. Yeah. Damn it. They're all sporty. Okay. Um, but yeah, the mother-daughter, the daughter rung her mum to say, hey, I'm doing this Arctic expedition. And the mum says her daughter invited her. The daughter says <laughs> she definitely didn't invite her mum, but her mum decided to go. But they both fell through the ice at one point. Oh. So the Arctic moves. I didn't quite realise mm, how much yeah. when you're exploring, it shifts and moves and the ice was creaking and they're wearing skis and they both fell through the ice and had to like swim in skis. What? And she said she just oh. remembered while also towwing these supply wagons. They all had a supply God. wagon they had to tow behind them. And they survived? Them. Yeah, they somehow incredible. survived. Incredibly. But then oh, it sounds like God was watching because they ended up, <laughs> two of them ended up managing to climb out onto one side of the ice, but their group was on the other. So they were on either side of a river and they just walked either side of this river and they were getting more and more divergent and they mm. realised they were not going to be able to get back to each other mm. and then suddenly the ice started moving and the river closed up cool. and wow. the ice joined together. Wow. The, but it would have been very precarious as in to walk across that is quite nerve-wracking. <laughs> you would have had to tread, you would have had to walk quite gingerly. Spice. <laughs> ice. Ice. <laughs> James saw that coming from such a distance. <laughs> What's that on the horizon? Is it the North Pole? <laughs> no, it's Andy's joke. <laughs> oh, it doesn't feel as good when you get there. <laughs> okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the crowd science expert who designed and mapped out the queue is called Professor Keith Still. <laughs> Did you try and say Keith? It sounds like Keith. Yeah. <laughs> so his name's Keith Still. It looks like Keep Still when oh, you yeah. say it in a weird way. Yeah. And um, he's, um, what's the cues do? They, they move, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> but this one famously was a very long one that required That's you true. to... Keith still. No, it actually required you to keep walking for about five miles. It did, but what were you doing when you weren't walking? I suppose you would keep still. That's, That's right. They always say keep, keep still. Oh my God. This is the cue for Elizabeth II. This is the passing of the Queen. There was this extraordinary cue that lasted somewhere between five miles onwards. Yeah. And if you were in it, if you were someone who came to London to be part of it, you could be waiting between nine and 24 hours to eventually get to the front of the queue. <laughs> Professor Keith still is um, <laughs> no. someone who you helps can say his name normally now we've done the fact yeah. it's okay no, we've explained to... the joke it which almost works now let's just call him by his name so um, he is from Burton and Kendall in Cumbria and his job is a crowd scientist so for the last 30 years he's been uh, doing this as a job and he was the person who was in charge of creating 
a line that was going to be one that meant that people felt safe and that they had mm. uh, toilet stops along the way and oh, okay. he he had to and you know medical assistance and he had to devise it for something that was twice the length where would it have gone i don't know i'm not sure if into we were the ever... english channel when when you drop into <laughs> the english channel <laughs> yeah. you well cuz they did water. stop it at one point they said we're at capacity so they didn't they didn't yeah. use the proposed route but then what they had was a pen where a sort of secondary queue started where you could then go queue, from that second queue for queue, the queue, queue yeah. for the queue mm. exactly um god i rem- yeah I I remember that happened. Um, I didn't go clubbing very much as a student. <coughs> but... You're astonished. No. <laughs> no, 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 it's true. Um, but there was, I think, partly because one, one of the first times I went. You were was... too, your friends said you were too tall, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, the, the Predator Club had a very low ceiling. And... They always do. Yeah, yeah. I would have hated it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, there was a club called The Bridge, which oh, yeah. was uh, you'd go to. Yeah. And um, there was a pre you'd, you'd queue up for ages and I did queue up for ages and then you get in I got in and it turned out that the club I got into was actually a queue for the actual club no that was a, yeah there was this there was this whole uh. and it had a bar and everything but it was basically the queue for the bridge as in wow. you'd get given a ticket and when they called out certain tickets you could go into the actual club but I queued wow. for about 40 minutes to get into the queue club you which must was feel like rubbish. an absolute chump. I've been to the bridge multiple times. I don't don't remember um, <clears throat> the, the old double queue. But... Oh, well, Anna, probably, Anna probably walks up to the front and says, I'm Anna Shashinsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They let me in the back And usually. you're DJing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is That's actually cool. quite impressive, the, the, sta- the level of standing. All right. So yeah. I hadn't yeah. really thought about the fact that you would be actually standing up because you are constantly moving, so you can't really sit down. You were standing yeah. up for 24 hours. And um, lots of people needed medical treatment. 291 people uh, needed medical assistance just on one day with 17 having to go to hospital. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's a lot. Dehydrating I and mean, fainting. It is quite yeah. a lot. Of course, they could have just not had a queue. I mean, <laughs> these days we do have systems to stop people from having to queue for miles and miles and miles. What, like booking in? Yeah, you could have just gone on the website, oh, like said, a... I'm going to come between one o'clock and two o'clock, and then the queue would never have gotten longer than an Where's hour. Where's the fun in that? Yeah. What would the news well, have done for a week? That's the point, isn't it? The <laughs> point is that it's like this ceremonial thing that they wanted to show how yeah. much, how important yeah. it was and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Professor Still, Keith Keith Still, Keith. <laughs> got <into laughs> Keith. Um, he got into queuing, first of all, several decades ago. He was at a Freddie Mercury gig. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was an AIDS awareness gig And it was at Wembley And he and his friends They were stuck in the queue for hours And his friends were all um, quite annoyed And he was quite mathematically minded And thought God this is really interesting actually And so he got into queuing And he then his sort of Interestingly first... queuing for the Queen Yeah <gasps> And queuing for Queen Oh my god We've blown the shit wide open um, <laughs> His next thing he did He went to Wembley uh, Stadium And he He would He got special permission From the Whoever's running the grounds mm. And he would spend his weekends For ages uh, Sitting above the players tunnel Watching the crowds Oh he, he, The match was going on But he's not watching it I think he wouldn't have been paying any attention to the match, yeah. And he, you would just see this guy sitting above the, yeah. He can't. Um, he said of the the queue, the the one, the recent queue, he would not have been able to have withstand the length of time it required to get to the front. Really? So he himself can no longer queue within Even the key. queues he decides. Well, yeah, because he's old. He's got an arthritic hip. Um, yeah. That must require him to keep still <laughs> more often than he'd like. Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny because he he um. He, he's got a lovely website and he lists his hobbies on it does he? he oh I didn't see his website oh he has a great website ah. yeah he owns multiple motorbikes uh, yeah. and he plays bowls does he? yeah it's quite a rare combo I think like having a Harley Davidson and playing crown green bowls is it? 
Uh, well, one seems no, quite you're right. hardcore. Hell's Angels, they were famous for their balls matches, <laughs> yeah. weren't they? Yeah. Sorry, they're the only people at motorbike. I forgot that as well. I associate both with real ale pubs. I bet he bloody loves a real ale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some uh, some other animals. Q. Oh, I yeah. didn't know this. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, Ants, probably, I reckon. Ants. Yeah, yeah, must do. Yeah. yeah. Um, fish. Cute. <laughs> they're a fish which yeah. yeah, there's uh the small goby fish, right? They have this thing where they have a mating queue. Okay, this is really this is a bit sexy actually. So only the top male and female mate, right? And all the other females have to wait in a queue before they can have sex. I I think with the top male, but maybe it's actually there's a queue there's a sort of queue of males. I don't know. Okay. But basically okay. to organise the queue, yeah. they do it by a pecking order of like sexiness. And sexiness is body mass for them. <laughs> so the biggest female is the sexiest one and gets to have sex first, right? Okay. And then the next biggest and so on. And they can measure. You know how in school you had to line up for um, fire drills and things with a height order? Did yeah. you? Okay. We, well, we did, yeah. Were you not too yeah. tall for that? <laughs> I, was, I was always left to burn, weirdly. <laughs> um, so, but the fish can tell their body mass, right? So if the difference is uh, 5%, more than 5% of their body mass, like between one female and the next, they will cue neatly, right? And Because they, they know who's bigger they can see. Oh, because they've all got scales, haven't they? Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> but if the difference is smaller than five percent between two females in the queue, the smaller one will try and queue jump, uh-huh. and we'll oh, yeah. sort of say this is there's enough. There's it's smaller a small enough difference. I think I could do it. Yeah. And then the bigger one will drive it out of the group. We'll sort of force it out of the queue. They'll have a fight. Right. Well, I think yeah. during that fight they both lose weight. <laughs> this is what they okay. No. So, no, okay, it's similar to that. Smaller fish will sometimes adjust their own size. They will lose weight to avoid presenting a challenge to the fish that's bigger than them. Oh, so they wow. don't get in a fight and they don't queue jump. They say, right, I'll just shrink my own body. How so do they that do I'm, that? I guess they don't eat for a while. Oh, in the lead up to the queue, not as in okay. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, not on the spot. They can't do yeah, like a they special. Can't do it, like, they can't like, like shit everything else. Yeah, no. Uh, famous queue um, when McDonald's opened in Moscow. Oh yeah, uh, in 1990. Um, people queued for six hours to get a McDonald's. And wow. um, they served 30,000 people on the first day. And one Big Mac cost 3.75 rubles. Okay. And a monthly wage was 150 rubles. So that is yeah. the equivalent today of a Big Mac costing £52.78. Wow. wow. Yeah, and people queued for six hours to get that. Because if someone tells you it's that expensive, you think it must be worth exactly. it. Yeah, there was um, 700 seats inside and 200 outside of this um, this McDonald's in Pushkinskaya Square. Uh, and so 900 people, that's about the same as the Globe Theatre. It, it was the largest McDonald's in the world until McDonald's uh, left Russia. Wow. wow. But in a sense, isn't, isn't McDonald's really the, you know, the theatre uh, sort of space for... Um, Keep going, you'll get You know, there. it's like the... Um, <laughs> I've got no idea where well, you're going. I wonder where you're going I believe in him. I believe in him. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, he can do this. You know, you've, what, what do you see at McDonald's late night? You see drama. Yeah. Uh, yeah you yeah, know, yeah. You, go, you go to a McDonald's, all human life is yeah. there. It's kind of like a, like a theatre. Macbeth is a... Um, Macbeth. I love Macbeth. There there you go. Go. There so much there for you, Andy. <laughs> that was what you were going for. I feel like I did a lot of work in the midfield there. I just slotted at home. The sharer of your jokes. We did 
on QI once that the way we load planes, aeroplanes, is totally wrong. So you know when you get you're waiting for a plane and they say, eh, if you're in rows 50 to 70, please come forward now. And they load from the back first, which seems to make sense. Yeah. Well, actually, that's the least efficient way to do it. It's way more efficient just to say everyone randomly get on the plane. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> Run for your lives. Close the door in four minutes. Go. You mean the easy jet system? <laughs> yeah. Leave the kids. Go. <laughs> well, the great thing is if you have kids, you get to the front of the queue. Yeah, although that, that is, is one of the best ways to do it is to make sure the slow loaders, i.e. people with kids, yeah, um, get do first. get on first. Mm. That's um, why they do it, I guess. But yeah, oh. this is, someone studied it mathematically and realised that loading from the back is actually slower than doing it randomly because people bunch up and they block each other, mm. yeah. but you're not loading the empty spaces. And actually, one really good way to do it is do window seats, then aisle seats, then middle seats. Oh, cool. Vice versa. That's, yeah. that's yeah, mad. Cool. <laughs> I mean, it is an insane way of doing that's it. That's insane. Because you're with, let's say you're three people going on a plane, a family. Yeah. yeah. All right. Just dad first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now the four-year-old on their own. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Okay. Families aside, I do think that is a cool way of doing it because then everyone's slotted, everyone goes to the end of yeah. their row where the windows are and no one's faffing about in the corridor bit of the plane. They're slowly, not doing it on it? purpose, Andy. They just need to get their bags into the... Into I'm the not hole. sure the window seat knocks that out because I you still the, need to get your bag into the top bit. Well, I think the key thing to do is everyone just carries the bag with them and just holds it in their arms <laughs> until the plane's taken off. Then you can put it up in the racks above. I don't think you're allowed to hold the bags in your arms, especially if you're on a like a emergency exit seat. Yeah, yeah that's true. You've got to yeah. put that under your feet, I'm yeah, afraid. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The seat in front of you. Yeah. Anyway. Oh well, don't fly. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I, I was reading a website called Line Logic, and they specialize in looking at public guidances and line management solutions. And so they go into businesses and try and sort out how they can best manage their crowds and stuff. Right. And they say that the word faffing directly relates to the idea of getting to the front of a queue and then waiting for that person who's just in front of you who's paid to sort of gather their things together the faffing that they do of sort oh, of like putting their wallet back and so well, like they, that's the first instance of the word faffing it's what this website says. So, what is this website who are these people it's that, line logic what are their credentials <laughs> i'm back them. that's great but they say that faffing time takes roughly 3.17 seconds um that's the average faff that you'll have mm -hmm. yeah that's plausible yeah because you know you can pride yourself on being a non-faffer once you're at the front of a queue yeah like uh right now i've got my wallet i'm ready i'm ready to put the card away i'm ready to grab the thing go you know yes or you can faff yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah. wonder which you are andy yeah <laughs> i'm very i pride myself on my non on my you non really yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 oh you guys were expecting that i see yeah, yeah. it felt like a weighted survey when you explain the difference between the two no, because they do say some people are absolutely awesome and they always know exactly how to leave a, a checkout and you get these complete assholes yeah. well, I, just, I, I, pan I panic i'm annoying the people behind me basically yeah, yeah. so i think time when you finish your transaction feels you know longer to you, you think, I agree oh, God, I often rush off without my shopping <laughs> but I feel you're the type of personality that would want to make sure that was acknowledged and then so you would somehow waste the person behind you's time going Wait, why am no I worries uh, getting out of your way there so quickly um, oh just don't worry just another just another day being a hero yeah. Yeah. I reckon you'd just go beep yeah. oh, three seconds 24 yeah. very good enjoy that extra second I've saved you <laughs> Uh, 
Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep, or go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. Check out all the previous episodes up there. Also, check out Club Fish, the exciting hidden behind the scenes membership club where we put extra content, extra fun shows, and you'll also get ad-free episodes. Check it out now and join today. Otherwise, come back next week. We're going to be back with another episode and we will see you then. A Goodbye. Goodbye.